The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to those expressing them and do not necessarily reflect the OSA Foundation Incorporated or any other group or individual. This podcast may contain dialogue or subject material that could be considered for mature audiences only. All aspects of how you play the game and the OSIP Foundation Incorporated are protected by copyright and other state and federal intellectual property laws. Unauthorized use without the express written consent of the OSIP Foundation Incorporated is strictly prohibited. If you're interested in sponsoring how you play the game, please email us at podcast at osipfoundation.org. Your sponsorship may be tax deductible. It's that time again. No, it's not time to yell at the United States Postal Service for their inability to deliver mail in the state of New Mexico. It's time for How You Play the Game, the official podcast of the Osip Foundation Incorporated. Yours truly, Jack Furlong, with you as we talk to you about what's going on. As far as the world of sportsmanship is concerned, this is the, if I know how to read my calendar, the, it will be the second episode of the month of March. The year is 2023. Glad you can be with us. As always, check us out online at osipfoundation.org. You can contact the show via the email address podcast at osipfoundation.org. And on social media, we are at Facebook.com slash Foundation, Twitter and Instagram at Foundation. hashtag how you play the game. We continue our series of interviews that have spawned from the wonderful experience that we had in Indianapolis back in January. And I'm so pleased to have with me the young lady who was responsible for everything. Uh, she has already been promoted to the level of goddess in in my eyes and probably has has. Uh, earned at least another two or three thousand bottles of wine uh so i i don't know what else to say other than she is the director of officiating services for the national federation of state high school associations the nfhs my good friend dana pappas is with us dana thank you so much for being here how's everything going everything is great jack thanks so much for having me and i, I think i need to have you as my designated introducer from now on that was pretty good i, I, I appreciated that <laughs> remember i am an umpire and an unemployed musician you can basically get me to do almost anything sounds good okay I, you're open <laughs> i'm yeah yeah let me check my calendar oh i have to go buy a calendar okay so yeah. staple the, the staples near me closed so i have to go all the way out to the next staples these are the first world problems that i have to first do. world problems okay for sure <laughs> staples closes near me what is this amateur hour so anyway um we let's start with this so you you came from new mexico to join the nfhs to become the director of officiating services talk to us first about what that job entails and what drew you to the job just so that we have a foundation of of where we start here sounds good so the nfhs director of officiating services was a new position that was created to essentially designate some just one person working with officials all the time. So prior to, there was an individual who worked with officials, but she also was in charge of a couple of sports where she was the rules editor. So with everything going on in the world of officials, the the leadership at the NFHS decided there needed to be one person who that, that was the focus. Um, the NFHS officiating services department is broken into two wings. The first wing is the officials education side of things where we try to come up with training and education modules and videos and manuals for officials. And then the other side of the house is the NFHS Officials Association, where officials can join and become members of the NFHS Officials Association. So very, very broadly and kind of in a nutshell, that's kind of what the, the position entails is me overseeing those two um, sides of the house. 
that what drew, drew me to it was really, um, it was a dream job. It absolutely was a dream job. So I, as you mentioned, I came from the New Mexico Activities Association where I was their director of officials for 18 years. I was there for my entire career, was able to retire from there. And um, when the job came open at the NFHS, it was like that, that was going to be the only thing in my life that took me away from New Mexico was the opportunity to be able to really advocate for officials nationwide and um, continue to build the officiating family. So people who know me know that that's the the passion for me is, is that officiating family and kind of, you know, not only training and educating them, but also being a support, being somebody who recognizes them, somebody who celebrates them and being able to do that on a larger scale was just everything that I, I could have wanted in a job. So when it opened, I applied. I was hugely surprised when I got it, very honored and, uh, you know, loaded up some pods and moved across the country to uh, to Indiana. So it's been, I mean, it's been amazing. It's been 18 months and it's gone by incredibly quickly. And um, it, it's just, it's been wonderful. So the draw was really the ability to do all of the things I love about officiating without having to get yelled at by, you know, parents over the phone every night or, you know, upset uh, coaches sometimes would call me at, you know, 930 after they had lost. And I, I'm not having to deal with that as much. So um, it's like I'm getting the, the best of the best of officiating, which is pretty cool. Well, that's great. And see, now the only problem with that story is you said 18 years and then 18 months. So you're only, what, 24 years old? So you started when you were in diapers? Is, is that yeah, what I'm, I'm saying? 20, I'm 29, actually. 29? So, okay. Um, I, I was My bad. Just <laughs> cr crawling around the halls of the NMAA. But <laughs> I, 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 I don't even remember 29 at this point in my life. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm, I count to four for a living. So, I, you know, I got that's how far, you, I'm, I'm getting into these 20s. I'm like, what? What are these characters? And why are there two of them next to each other? So, double digits. Yeah. This is. <laughs> oh, how did I get a degree? Um, so. So. OK. So. So you have this dream job This you, you you've you've relocated. And in 18 months, you have. Uh, accomplished so much. Uh, you had the first officials consortium, and then we had the second one that we just had in in back in January. Um, talk about the you know what led you to needing both of them, the, the first one, and then what led to the second one as well. Uh, in, in in just you know, just a short amount of time, you you know you put on two consortiums. That's you know pretty pretty awesome. So so talk about how how that happened. So the first one was actually, um, I hate to say it was an accident, but it was kind of an accident. So when I first took uh, took the position, one of the first things I really wanted to do was do some needs assessment with our state associations, but also really trying to develop some relationships with other entities outside of the NFHS. So while it was important for me to be connected with our 51 member state associations, it was also very important for me to work with the NGBs, work with professional sports, with collegiate sports. Um, obviously, we have great partners at NASO, the National Association for Sports Officials, um, Officially Human, Battlefields to Ballfields. We've got all of these amazing entities. And it was really talking to them about where there were opportunities to get together and try to address some of what was going on in officiating. So I was actually talking to some officials, um, ice hockey officials, actually. And one of the ice hockey officials said, gosh, it'd be great if somebody would hold this consortium where we brought people together from every level, every sport, where we could talk about these issues. 
And I was like, yeah, that would be really, you know, great idea. Right. Of course, I wasn't thinking I should do that. But I had a conversation with our CEO, Dr. Chris Niehoff, and I said, hey, this suggestion was brought to me. What do you think? And she goes, do it. And of course, I'm like, oh, like, that's awesome. Should have kept your mouth shut is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. I was like, ooh, be careful what you're for. But it was uh, excellent and terrifying all at the same time. So we, we put together the first consortium really to address the the issues of recruitment and retention but also to start devising solutions because it's so easy to just like anything else in this world it's so easy to complain without solutions mm-hmm. um or have an opinion without a solution right so to bring people together who are all dealing with the same problem that everybody was approaching it from you know 85 different ways so we brought everybody together we had you know two and a half days where we sat talked about the problems and then really devised solutions um, had that, then we had eight online sectional summits where we allowed people from everywhere to, to join us and hear what was discussed at the, at the consortium, but also to offer their advice, opinions, suggestions, et cetera. Um, came out with a recruitment, recruitment and retention strategies document, launched a behavior campaign, which is our bench bad behavior campaign. And then um, after all of that happened, which the last rollout was in September, was when we had the behavior campaign and the strategies document, decided that we needed to take it another step and um, had Consortium 2.0, where, as as you know, because you were there, we really talked about some implementation strategies and what the role of each entity is as far as if you're a state association, a host facility, media you know, organizations like OSIP, Positive Coaching Alliance, and we really tried to get all hands on deck, media, um, security. We were trying to just everybody who has anything to do with a, a sporting event, bring them together together and say, okay, here's what we came up with. Now what? Right. Because it's great to have all these strategies, but if we're not doing anything to implement them, then we're exactly where we started, which right. is, you know, chaotic. But that that's kind of how the whole consortium um program, I guess, came about. So right. now we're in the process of eight more sectional summits to go over what we learned at 2.0. And then we'll start having some quarterly virtual summits as we determine if we're going to have a 3.0, what that looks like, um, and where, where we go from here. So mm-hmm. it's uh, it'll be kind of a it's kind of a living initiative at this point. I'm already I'm already like waiting with bated breath for 3.0. And even if you don't have it, I'm just going to fly out there and just be like, well, I'm going to have it here I on my dime. Idea. Okay. You're there's, always there's, welcome. there's literally nobody else here, but it's, it's fine. It's <laughs> fine. Let's just, let's just go right to the restaurant and sitting in an empty conference room going, all right, I'm here. <laughs> listen, listen, that would make me feel important for a small amount of time. And that's really a good thing. Okay. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anything to boost my self-esteem. Hey, we're here for you, man. Thank you. Thank you. I, I really should bill you guys more for that. Because, you know, I'm sure the <laughs> NFHS just know. has money lying around to cover what is, in essence, my therapy. <laughs> we all need it. <laughs> oh God, yeah. Um, so we so 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 we experience these these consortiums, and you know, from my standpoint of of experiencing it and whatnot, it really seems like you said recruitment and retention of officials is probably the the heart of it, and that that leads to obviously so many different reasons and and we dissected that and whatnot let's start just with the initial the initial part of the recruitment and retention what does the research show that you know that that other people need to hear because I know we talked about it but you know to, to spread that message what does the research show is the main reason why we have this crisis 
with sports officials across the board in terms of recruitment and retention? So really, and I always want to preface what I'm about to say, because every time I say it, I get a flood of emails about, well, you're missing this and you're missing that. So the main reason, according to statistics with uh, both the National Association of Sports Officials and Officially Human, who have uh, done some surveys about it, the number one reason officials leave is the behavior of adults. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I say adults, that's parents in the stands, spectators, coaches, it has really nothing to do with the student athletes at our level. Um, so it, that's really the number one reason they get out. As you know, for me, it's consortium. We talked mm-hmm. about other issues with regard to assignment practices, um, cost, um, time commitments, not being able to balance their real jobs with right. officiating because that is certainly an issue. Uh, there's there's a lot of barriers both at internally and externally, but the number one reason that's cited, and it was at about 75% of officials who felt that the number one reason why other officials leave is because of uh, adult behavior. Mm-hmm. It, se- it seems like, you know, in any profession, in, when you're studying anything business-wise, it, do- it doesn't even matter. There's always that uh, you can't please everybody factor. You know, I the, the old Mitch Hedberg joke is, well, they say you can't please everybody. And last night, everybody was at my show. So <laughs> it's it. But it, but it's the it's the God's honest truth is that no matter what your industry, no matter what your profession, any any, you know, capitalist business is going to have that where it's like, OK, you're going to have a 95 percent customer satisfaction. You're always going to have that small percentage where it's like, I can't I just can't do anything to please this person. And yep. it seems like. So some of the things that you described fall into that. It's game time. It's it's balancing work life. It's 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 all those things where it's just like I can't we can't get everything all at once. But it seems like the 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 behavior aspect that you described is has reached a critical mass where that's definitely what has to be addressed. There's there's no ifs ands or buts about it. If we stay on the the you know the the, the path we're on now we're going to deplete our resources and 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 that's really you know and like you said not taking anything away from those other reasons but trying to see the the, the nature of you know how how you know how large this is over here versus how these other things could be you know just wrong place wrong time and i i totally agree because i think that the issue with behavior is it's the most visible um right. somebody who's not intimately involved with the officiating industry isn't really going to know some of the other like the internal barriers, but certainly when you look on social media and you see officials getting threatened or assaulted, that's yeah. something that that's very, it's become mainstream, which I hate. Um, but with the prevalence of social media, everybody has a cell phone with camera on it and it, it's going to end up on Twitter. So yeah. being able to address the thing that's most visible there, you know, there's a number of state associations who are now um, finding ways to punish fans for bad behavior. And there's some three strikes policies coming out and even two strikes policies coming out for fans who are, you know, acting in an egregious way toward contest officials or even toward other teams, because sometimes the the ire isn't directed necessarily at the officials. It could be at a, a player or a coach from the opposing team, which right. is also horrible. So oh, yeah. I think I think the more that we address just the the overall climate in in the athletic setting, that's that's the most visible thing that we can kind of sink our teeth into as an industry. Are there any specific sports levels, regions of the country where the statistics either change or 
you you notice something that that you know like like a slight deviation where oh this happens more over you know uh, baseball officials get it more in the northwest versus soccer officials in the southeast. Is, is there anything like that that you notice specifically? I don't think there's anything regionally that we have data to support. Mm -hmm. um, certainly the sports that we see it the most often in will be a soccer, baseball, softball, where there's proximity of the fans to the to the playing field. Mm -hmm. um, you don't see it as much as football because a lot of times the stands are so far from the field that it, it's not as it's not as obvious, I guess. Right. Um, soccer, baseball, softball. Um, I'm sure some of the lacrosse, field hockey, those yeah. those sports as well, because in so many cases you're playing on a field where you've got basically fan official four feet from each other, and it causes a problem. And many times there's not a lot of security at those facilities. Yep. Um, you know, as we talked about the consortium, there's a, a lack of dressing facilities for some of those sports. So. And, you know, as a baseball umpire, sometimes that getting dressed out of the trunk of your car, um, it, that that's an issue if there's no one there to to kind of make sure that you're OK, because yeah. now now people have direct access to you. So really, when we talked and, and you know, you heard the conversation when we talked about the, the facilities and the need for security and the need to make sure the officials have that safe haven for before and after games or in between if they're doing a double header. Um, that that's imperative. So I, we don't have anything that's um, really broken down by area of the country, but definitely by sport, it's going to be anything where the fans are closer um, right. physically to the officials and to the field or court. Now, obviously you have, you know, your, your focus is, is, is obviously uh, high school athletics, but in, in gaining all of this knowledge from NASA officially human, you know, every, every uh, partnership that has provided statistics is there, you know, is there anything about level? Like, I mean, I know we had the, we had collegiate people there, and and I feel like collegiate athletics is its own its own thing. High school athletics is its own thing, you know. And then you've got the youth travel stuff that that you know might even be worse, even though that may not fall under your particular umbrella. But I but I also do remember, you know, and I wrote this one down at the consortium how one of the issues is a lot of these officials start or get into it at that that youth travel ball level, so to speak, and then never even make it to high school officiating because they're out before that even happens. So is there, is there a level correlation at all? I think for sure. Um, it, you know, the youth level, there are definitely, that's where a lot of the problems happen. And I think when you kind of look at the level and the security provided, mm -hmm. um, there's definitely a direct relationship between the two. So when you're at the youth level, when you're at um, middle school, at even you know high school to some degree, there's just not security. So you do see more of those incidents happening at that level than something at the NBA where there's you know police like uniform right. police officers around as well as event security and all of that. So I think that um, you know that was kind of why when we did the consortium, both one and two, we were very strategic in making sure that those youth and club partners were on hand because we understand that this is a cultural change. This isn't something that if we fix it at the high school level, we'll be fine right. because high school is of course wedged in between youth and college and everything else. So we have to make sure that that culture change starts with when kids are playing T-ball when they're four years old, because, and you know, as a baseball umpire, you see sometimes the fan behavior when the kids are five years old, is yep. completely outlandish. And I, I don't understand why it would ever need to be that heated when your kid, you know, is just just figured out how to walk. So, yeah. I, you know, I think that uh, making sure that we're using some consistent language and verbiage uh, with our 
with the folks that are prior to high school, prior to middle school, the better chance we have to really clean it up. So that you know the youth sport is is a concern, and a lot of the you know a lot of the video clips you see, a lot of the assaults that occur are outside of the high school level. So um, that's what that's why we're really trying to make sure that we have partners everywhere to work on this together because we know we can't fix it alone yeah those those t-ball stories always always bother me too i mean the kids are all thinking i get a free snow cone at the end of this win lose or draw you know exactly. and, you know I'm, I'm over here do you want grape or cherry oh i prefer cherry but grape. you know it's, 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 these are the, the big things we have to worry I about you know like can, yeah can do half and half, i can like, I, yeah. i'll get you They're two fine. snow cones okay <laughs> listen if 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 the, if the deal is all parents and adults are going to be nice to each other, and the umpire just has to get snow cones for everybody. I will get everybody a million snow cones, okay? Absolutely. I love snow cones. I will buy a snow cone machine. I will be that creepy guy who changes for a baseball game out of his car, and he has the snow cone machine. And that I will have a lawyer like a on retainer, idea. okay? Yeah, now all I can picture is the from back in the day, those Snoopy snow cone oh, yeah. machines. I think I had one of those. I think oh. that's what you should use. Too, okay, I can way, do. That I mean, I'm sure. Listen, involved. there's got to be an endorsement deal in there somewhere, right? <laughs> it has to be. I mean, and if not, I'm sure there's like a used one for like six dollars on eBay. Or yeah, something. the late Charles Schultz will come back just for this. Okay. <laughs> I like it. I think yeah. we're on. This good, good. We're solving things here with the NFHS I mean, and OSIP. You know. Problems. Yeah. I, I swear there's got to be a media camp, like a comedic media campaign where we can just get together, solve these things. And at the very end, it's like, will you, will you treat people nicely? And then we all just laugh or something like that. <laughs> um, with the laugh track and everything. Oh, yeah. I mean, because because you're, you're going to do it. You do it right with a laugh track. OK, <laughs> we can't hire to. people to come in and laugh no. for us. What is no. this amateur hour? Not made of money. <laughs> with our with our Snoopy endorsement. Deal. Right. Oh, my God. Come on. <laughs> not in this economy. Um, right. <laughs> you know, speaking of these levels and whatnot, I was I was talking with I was interviewing a couple of other people uh, for this series. Most recently was someone from um, Positive Coaching Alliance, and I asked them about um, the difference between professional sports versus collegiate sports versus everything beneath that in terms of the officiating because. Um, from the from a coaching standpoint, the question was, why is it that we are we are telling everybody at the youth level and even to a certain degree at the collegiate level to to act this way? And yet on like the on the PCA, you know, advisory board or all of these professional coaches and whatnot who have you know, we have evidence of them not acting that way. You know, and, and I want to be like, uh, Bruce Bochy has been ejected a, a myriad of times from ball games. My good friend can't get along with him on the major league side. So what is is there a reconciliation? Because I feel like, you know, we, we, we part of this culture change may have to involve involve the, the reality that the professional stuff that we see has an entertainment value to it that does not apply to the lower levels. And that that distinction has to be made as we go through this to bench bad behavior and and to and to make that culture change. Is there is there a, a particular way to do that? I mean, or 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 is that something that the NFHS has considered in trying to put stuff? And where where do you think you stand on that? So you know, we talk a lot about that with with high school sports or interscholastic sports. We always talk about how we're in the extension of the classroom. We're right. in education based athletics. 
Um, Dr. Niehoff, our CEO, said something recently that really struck, uh, you know, struck me. And I was like, that makes a lot of sense. So she was talking about in the interscholastic setting, athletics are formative, whereas in collegiate to some degree, as well as professional, it's performative. So Mm -hmm. we're really trying to figure out how to stress to people that the behavior that we need to see needs to match what you would see in a classroom. Um, we understand that the NFL, the NBA, all of those, that that's a you know multi-billion dollar industries. High school, you're paying $5 to get in and watch your son or daughter play. So mm-hmm. we're really trying to stress the fact that we, we would hope that people respect their fellow human being, whether they're at a little league game or an NFL game, but we also understand the stage is different. Right. Um, so trying to, trying to delineate between the two is difficult at times because, you know, what we feel like are, are rational expectations. The person who just spent $300 to have a nosebleed seat at an NFL game may not feel the same way. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I think the more, you know, as often as we can stress that we're an extension of the classroom and always keep you in mind, is this how you would, um, talk to a kid or to a teacher or to somebody who comes into your classroom, if your principal's in evaluating that, you would you expect your principal to start yelling at you because you're you're not teaching correctly? Mm-hmm. So, you know, trying to explain that how how the decorum in a classroom is is what it should be like out on the field um, or court or mat or whatever. So, um, but it's definitely there is a distinct a distinction there, and it's it's tough to talk about sportsmanship and say, well, these guys are exempt because right. that's not what we're trying to say, but. We also just have a, have to have an understanding of like age and stage, right? And in, in, in that you know you are, ba- you know you are judged on your wins and losses at the professional level, like right. like like a normal business. You know right. the, the the capitalistic nature of it comes into play here, and you know that doesn't that's not the case at the interscholastic level. You right. know is, you know so it and and, be. <laughs> and exactly, um, and and I guess the other part of it is that you know the average fan who who may also be a parent um may not take the time to consciously consider this because they may see on tv the behavior that it happens at the professional level and to a degree the collegiate level and that they you know the, the at, the, at the subconscious level we think well that's how i should be acting and in response we have you know the battle is to say hold up the answer is no, you shouldn't be acting that way. And then that also circles back to what you said about the lack of security, because I can I can totally imagine situations at like a high school basketball game where, you know, a, a, a parent fan is, is in you know, acting inappropriately in the bleachers and you need the security of somebody to go up there and say, we don't act that way here. And yet we just simply don't have those people. That's so true. It's you know, that trickle down effect is really what we're the victim of a lot of times at the Mm -hmm. high school level, because they do see what's going on in a a professional game and feel like that's the, that's the way they are allowed to act because I paid $5. I have the right to scream like a maniac. Well, no, you don't. So trying to, one of the things we're really trying to do is figure out how to get um, more information in the hands of parents or or spectators, whomever those people are in the stands that are yelling at officials. Uh, let's educate them because I think where we run into problems often is when you have a parent who is an athlete yeah, and maybe they aren't real up to date on rules, not understanding that the rules have evolved over time and what was a, a foul 25 years ago may not be anymore or vice versa. So we're really trying to encourage officials groups to engage at preseason meetings and maybe do some rules presentations 
Um, and that's really twofold. So having officials who can talk about rules, but also giving the, you know, humanizing officials. And we talk mm-hmm. a lot about that with with Brenda Hilton and her work with Officially Human, putting a, a name and an occupation to the people who are out there officiating, because I think that there's some safety in that anonymity. People are like, oh, well, they have a striped shirt on, so they, they must be the, the adversary. So I think if they understand, hey, this is Joe Smith and he's a, a police officer in your town and he has a wife and two kids, maybe they'll think twice, maybe not, but hopefully they'll think twice. Right. And you can almost put yourself in the shoes of the official. Would you know If you're sitting in the stands and you've got a kid next to you and you start screaming, what if that kid's mom or dad is out there officiating? Would you want somebody to hear somebody screaming and threatening you at your place of work? You know, you're a banker or right. whatever. Would you Would you want somebody coming in and chastising your mom or dad? So, I, you know, I think that trying to educate parents and fans is really critical. Um, you know, we're trying to do some stuff to get materials in the hands of individual athletic directors so that they can have those four preseason parent meetings and really help us carry the banner because we're, you know, the level where we are, it's hard to have that individual outreach with with the folks who are spectators at contests. So trying to work with NIAAA, the Athletic Administrators Association, we're planning on getting a hold of NASSP and the Superintendents Association, really start talking about how we can really address what's going on in school campuses where, you know, where we and even the state associations to some degree might have a little bit of a disconnect. It, yeah, it's amazing how I know I've, in my experience, you know, some of the, the issues are the rules are different here. You know, high school baseball rules are different than college baseball rules are different than official baseball rules, you know, and 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 I have to, you know, and, and it's it's like I, I can't tell you the reason that it is, but I can tell you that it exists and you can't yell at me for doing my job, you know. That's right. So um, do you we've obviously talked a lot about uh the these these larger team sports the that require the physical dexterity and that also uh, where the officials and the fans are close in proximity do you see similar things in sports that may be individual or maybe uh more subjective or 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 anything like that such as i mean I, you could you could call you can go to swimming you can go to you know, maybe volleyball, which is, I guess, is more of a team sport. But then also I can think of I know the NFHS is involved with music and 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 adjudication with that. And, you know, do, does that trickle down to those competitions as well, where, you know, you know, the, the 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 level of competition may not be what we associate it normally to be with, you know, basketball, baseball, football, soccer, et cetera. So, you know, it's interesting that you brought that up. Uh, We don't get a lot of, even when I was in the state office, I didn't get a lot of like parent complaints, um, coaches complaints in the swimming track and field side of things. Mm -hmm. Um, For some reason, the individual sports, it's just not, I guess it's not part of the culture, um, which is, which is interesting that it seems to be as part of all the rest of the culture, but you know, we didn't get as much of that with the, you know, with the music side of things. And I was actually in charge of state music events in New Mexico. The only time we would hear anything about adjudication would just be from the director who felt like their performance was better. And, you know, they get their score sheets and they'd feel like, well, I don't understand why they felt like our, you know, our tone was off or wherever the case right. may be. So it's, it's a little more of a, a one-on-one sort of thing where we may get, you know, you may get a complaint from the the band director or the choir director, but you're not going to, you're not going to have parents yelling at the adjudicators right, we, in, the, in the audience. I would hope not. I, I, mean, I, I, I wouldn't put it past you, you know. I was going to say, how's it happened? I'm knocking on wood. How's yeah. it happened yet? But, 
it, you know, with the with the performing arts, you don't really see it. Um, with the individual sports, you don't really see it. What you do see, though, is a shortage. So mm-hmm. I know in speaking with Dr. James Weaver, who's our director of performing arts, they're they're having an adjudicator shortage as well. So it's just it all goes into the the educator shortage. Right. So I think that everything is kind of interrelated because, you know, back in the day, if you looked at the makeup of officials, most of them were educators. They would right. get off of school and it was great for their schedule. They were done with teaching and then they go officiate. But now there's, you know, there's so many more demands on educators that when they're done with school, they just kind of want to be done for the day. And I, you know, I definitely respect that. So, you know, I think that that, that educator shortage and just the change in that, in what teachers do has, has affected both the adjudicator pool as well mm-hmm. as the officials pool. Uh, I didn't even know that. And now I'm just writing down, all right, I got to get in touch with with him for, you know, becoming an adjudicator now. Just, you know, yes. another, see, I, I don't have anything else to do. I know, you know, I, I have a <laughs> master's. I know what I'm doing, you know. <laughs> like you're just, again, adding to the list. Oh, my God. How are there only 24 hours in the day? I don't know. Yeah. I need more. I, I could use maybe three or four more. I don't know. I, I think I'd be good at like 30. 30? Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll make a phone call to Jesus. Yeah, if you, you know. Can do- is there a petition we can start or uh... I, i'm sure um, there's there's got to be a gofundme somewhere for more hours in the day if not we'll get one started yep yep yeah and, and then of course i'm going to call jesus and get the the voicemail he's like listen i'm i'm playing golf in florida can you like pick this up with somebody else in exactly. hr you know yeah I we've all been there right jesus you know so <laughs> when you get transferred it's the worst right <laughs> I was just making that joke with somebody the other day. I was like, you know, what if God actually went on vacation and he had to say, like, listen, I'm on you know, vacation for all inquiries between this period and this period. Talk to Sharon over here in the other department, you know? She's our quality quality control department. Right, yeah. The, the heavenly Sharon, quality control. Con- poor Sharon. <laughs> She just she she's just a secretary. Just, she's a temp. Yeah. She she doesn't want to worry about plagues and things, you know. So she's just a villain. Leave her alone. I know, I know. I the, I did these were things that I did not get to discuss when I was in seminary. They thought there were better things to talk about. And I'm over here I'm trying, here. you know, what if God takes a vacation? They're kind of looking at me like, Will you will you go outside and not come back in? You had you some know? really deep questions and no one would answer you. Right. I mean I, I, I learned it from um What's his name? Uh, George Carlin. Why do we park on the driveway and drive on the parkway? You know, why do we sterilize? What's that? Deep probing questions. Exactly. Why do we sterilize the needle we use for the lethal injection? It doesn't make sense. No. See? Not even a little bit. No. See, and this this is, we're solving some things here today. Things that keep you up at night, aren't they? Yeah. That's why I don't go to bed till 2 a.m. You know? (laughs) Got a lot going on up there. I really do. I mean, if I'm up by 11, that's a good day goodness you know well maybe I, maybe i can't work for a real corporation or or nonprofit. maybe i have to stay here in a little this is really making you reevaluate some things i l- listen i turned 40 in june i'm i've been reevaluating for the last year okay i got so, you yeah i i've been there yeah you're 29 you've not been there oh, stop I, stop lying to make friends I, I okay i forgot that you i forgot that you told my age see see i i i'm very very sensitive to these things i appreciate that um speaking of sensitivity what kind of what kind of stories have you heard in your position you know you mentioned you know the phone calls that you would get um you know the can you talk about some of the the common trials and tribulations about officials and and you know what what that does to motivate you to make a difference in your position 
So I think, uh, you know, most of them were probably when I was still in a state association, because like I said, I don't get a lot of them um, at the NFHS, but mm-hmm. I think anything that was just an attack on the integrity of an official, you know, it would be the, your officials cheated. Yeah. And it, that was something that always just really bothered me to my core because at, at its very, you know, base value at the high school level, does it really make sense that a grown adult would take off half a day of work, take away, you know, their income from their actual job, Mm -hmm. take away time from their families and anything else that they do in their lives to make less than they probably make at their real job to go out and find a way to, to cheat kids. Like the whole argument is so counterintuitive that I was always like, do you even hear what's coming out of your mouth? But, you know, do I think officials have a have a bad game? Absolutely. Um, so do players. So do mm-hmm. coaches. Everybody does. We're human. But when there were just the attacks of the integrity of, of human beings that officiated that were providing a service for kids who aren't theirs, those are the things that continually motivate me because the thing I value most are, like I said, that officiating family. And it's something that's been such a huge part of my life through every high, every low for 26 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they get attacked just in that way, it it just strengthens my resolve to continue to advocate for them and to continue to fight for them because they, they don't have a lot, you know, they don't have a lot of fans. And it's, I think the more we can humanize officials, the more that people understand who they are and what they're doing, maybe they'll, they'll get it that officials aren't out to, to affect the outcome. They're not right. trying to, they may miss a call. They're going to miss calls, uh, but they're not trying to take a game away from kids. That yeah. just, like I said, why would anybody go through that much trouble and sacrifice so much um, and take out their angst about something on 16 year olds. Like it just, uh, like I said, it's counterintuitive. So th- those attacks on integrity are what really fuel me to make sure that I'm continuing to advocate for officials and, and, you know, and help them get better at their crafts because that that's what officials want. They want to, they want to be good. They don't want to go out there and fail. Um, and what people don't know about officials is they are their own worst critics. Right. If you, if you think yelling at them is bothersome, they've already gone through a bigger internal struggle because they've kicked a call. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the more people understand that officials don't like to have a bad night. Yeah. Um, people who are in charge of officials don't like bad officiating. So I, I you know, I think that there's a group of perfectionists within officials and, and we get that and we want to be good and we want to be right. We want to get the calls right. Mm-hmm. We want to be in position, but sometimes you're going to miss them. And it's never intentional. It's not malicious. Um, and I just wish more people understood what goes into being an official and how much time officials are sacrificing to be able to provide a service for, for your kids. I mean, yeah. that that's just something that that's what bothers me. Yeah. I mean, I was just telling a, a group of um, cadets the other night, who do you think knows first when a call has been kicked? It's you, the umpire. Yeah, absolutely, you know it. You know it as you're as you're doing the mechanic that you that you kick that, and 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 you don't need. We don't need coaches, players, fans, anybody else to tell us that. We are well aware, and we well, are. You know, if you think if you think we're not thinking about that for twenty four to forty eight hours, you're wrong. Oh my gosh! And you then the, the ability of officials to reset after they've they've kicked a call, it has to be before the next play. Yeah. You're going to keep it in the back of your mind because you want to go back and understand why you missed it in the first place. 
but you can't take a playoff. You right. can't go in the tank. And it happens sometimes, but you're exactly right. Any amount of yelling that you're getting, you're already doing it to yourself. Like right. <laughs> that's the thing about officials that people really don't understand is yeah. how much how much officials hate to to miss a call or um you know, just be out of position, whatever the case may be. It, it's horrible. And and the only people who know are people who work with officials and the officials themselves. And all you're hoping if you're sitting in the stands evaluating is I hope they I hope they turn the page. You've yeah. got to reset. You've got to reset. Yeah. And yeah, and most are very good at it, but you can also tell when somebody when they kick a couple and then it's like, oh no, you're, yeah. you're just looking, you know, in a in a sport with a clock, you're looking for zeros. You're like, yep. oh, let's, let's just get out of this game. <laughs> I, I I've been there, I've done that, I've got the t-shirt. And I and I tell people all the time when you, you know, when you know, especially at the the high school level and below where as you said these people are humans they have other jobs they're they're not professional officials they care they want to be great and everything but they're not we're not getting paid and compensated to the point where we can leave everything else behind and do this and as a result of that you're going to deal with people who may not have perfected the skill of turning the page yet you know, we're so we're so focused on rules and mechanics, and rightfully so, that the intangibles sometimes we're just that's the last thing to come. And you know, and I try and tell coaches and and, and fans alike, if you think that harping on this is a good idea, you're hurting yourself because now I know from personal experience, I'm already beating myself up over it. And if you're gonna yell about it, now I'm focusing on your yelling and not on the next call. You know? And now I'm not focusing on your players, which right. should be a concern to you because because you're not focused on me anymore as a coach because you're too busy yelling at me. Right. Um. So now we've just now we've lost control. Right. And it's not and 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 I always you know I always try and and say you know that first reaction is okay because that's the the natural human instinct. I yeah, always human. <laughs> I use I use the the analogy of the horror movie. Not that I go to them, but if you go to a horror movie and something on screen scares you you're going to naturally jump right it's if you continue to harp on that afterwards where the problem exists i'll be the first to admit if i'm watching a ball game on tv i will every now and then i'll go oh where was that you know on a pitch that i thought was a strike and called the ball but then it stops right <laughs> you know it's it's me to myself oh where was that and then and then and then it's over it's over. We move Two on. Two hours later, you're not still going. Mm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that sure that sure looked outside to me. Like. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and and I mean, and and how apropos. Also, I mean, I know when this episode is going to come out, we'll be somewhat removed from it. But the Super Bowl has had had that in itself with that that holding call at the end of it. With you know, and and how the the you know the reaction of. The, the, of fans you know you can scroll on twitter and see the vitriol and you're just like oh my god the the, the guy in the locker room said i held him it was I the was right call they wouldn't call it <laughs> yeah and yet and yet at the same time everyone who has a voice and an opinion is saying you know well the, you know it wasn't consistent you can't call that there and i'm like you know not at that time of the game and then the person who defended it the most was nick seriani which right. You know, I was a fan of, I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan for life, mm -hmm. but I've, I've really become a fan of his because I just, I like, I just like the way he coaches, but mm -hmm. to see how he responded to that adversity of saying it's not one call that makes the game. Right. 
that's huge. And we need to see more of that, especially with professional coaches, because they do set the tone. That's that role modeling aspect. And, you know, hearing that call cost the Eagles the game, but did it? Because I remember a couple of times where Kansas City scored and their receivers were totally wide open. Yeah. But are we gonna are we gonna blame the defense? Are we gonna blame the guy who did hold? No, it's always you know the easy scapegoat is always the officials. Yeah. So when I saw both Bradbury's quote about I held him, and then Sirianni's quote about that wasn't what did it. They were the better team. How hard is that to to say? You know what? They're the better team today, and it's always it's always so much easier to say it was someone else's fault instead of just they they play better than we did today. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not that hard. It's you know, it's okay to compliment the other team, but that it just doesn't happen very often. We're so we're so invested as as fans or you know, or or however we associate with a particular brand, team, player, et cetera, that an attack on them is an attack on us for whatever reason, you know. That's so true. And 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 this, you know, the 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 dissertations that are being written about this are, you know, bountiful, shall we say. Yes. You know. <laughs> um you know the 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 average person, the average fan, may not care about this issue the same way that you and I care. Um, you know they're they're not in the trenches dissecting recruitment retention, officials uh, pay, how host schools treat officials. You know everything that we've discussed ad nauseum. You know in in the consortium and and, and beyond. Is there is there a message that we can provide to these average fans? to to care and to make a change that goes beyond just you know the the proverbial you know if you're going to act poorly we're going to have security come up in the stands and tell you not to do that etc i mean is there is there something is there something that we can that we can use to hook these people in to start this culture change so if there was one positive that came out of the pandemic um it was this so when the pandemic happened and things got shut down. Athletics were shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't playing. People were just begging like, oh, gosh, we just want our kids to play again. That's all I want is to see my kid play. So when we came out of the, the pandemic, we really thought that the behavior was going to change, that people would just be happy to be back. Well, mm-hmm. they weren't. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I've really been trying to tell people when I've spoken is if behavior is is kind of the next pandemic. But the difference between it and COVID is this one's preventable. We all can prevent what comes out of our mouths. We all can prevent how we act. Like you said, there's always going to be a natural reaction to something. If your kid gets called for a foul, you're going to, ah, saying, ah, is one thing. Threatening the official is quite something else. So what, what I've really been trying to say is this behavioral issue is a controllable pandemic. COVID, nobody could do anything about it. Governments decided to shut down. We weren't playing or we were playing with masks or whatever. Well, yeah. None of it was ideal. And just as parents, remember how you felt when your kid couldn't play. Mm-hmm. And then further, remember that your behavior, what you say, what you do can be the next reason your, t- your, your kid doesn't get to play. Right. Let's take everybody else's kid out of the equation. Your child isn't going to get to play because of how you act and how you respond. And I, I know, like you said, they're they're not looking at it globally. They're looking at it with regard to their child and that that child's a chance to get a scholarship or mm-hmm. to, you know, be all state or whatever it is that they're looking at. Um, but when you look at it at that level of just what can you do as a parent, 
cheer for your kid. Yeah. Cheer for your kid's team. Mm-hmm. You don't need to get involved with the officials. You just you just don't because without those officials, your kids don't play. Without right. your officials, we're in COVID again. I mean, yeah. really, we're in a situation where games are shut down and and now it's your fault. Yeah. It's not a virus. You're the virus. Right. Yeah. But I just a- I mean, I, I don't know how else to break it down, but I think that that was what I kept thinking about because all through the pandemic, I was like, man, when it comes back, it's going to be so different. Everybody's just going to be so happy to get together and play again. And then it was worse in some cases. And I'm like, well, that the talk about your all time backfires. (laughs) I think that, um, you know, my hope is that people understand that this is something that they can be a part of the solution just by acting humanely. It's, It's not even, you have to cheer for the officials, but don't, I mean, don't yell at them. Don't right. call them to the locker room. It's it, there's a difference between a reaction and a boo, and what we see too much of right now. Yeah. So you heard it here first, folks. The NFHS is working on a vaccine for this <laughs> virus, this new virus. The proverbial vaccine. Yes. <laughs> proverbial vaccine was actually the title of my upcoming book. So <laughs> another, one, another book. <laughs> Oh man, I'm just I'm just digging myself. That actually deeper. sounds like a band name. Proverbial vaccine. vaccine. Yeah, that's my that's that's my um that's my heavy metal band. I was gonna say you're a musician, you yeah. know. Yeah, let me let me call a couple of cats and just be like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna start a a new heavy metal band called Proverbial Vaccine, and we're gonna have <laughs> I, a group called Injured open for us. Okay. I love it. I would like, buy both of those those albums. That perfect. Those albums will be in stores. Never. Um. <laughs> Because iTunes is a thing now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's my problem. Is that how do I get people to buy my music? Just, if I had a <laughs> dissertation for all that, you know, <laughs> another book. <laughs> oh my god! How to get people to buy my music? <laughs> exactly. You know, step one: don't put out crappy music. <laughs> now pay me five hundred dollars. Um, <laughs> let's let's flip the switch the script a little bit here. Now there 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 are plenty of officials. Or people who want to officiate who have said they won't or they, you know, we, we always know about retention. But how do we how do we convince these people who are kind of on the fence about officiating to join the ranks when they are aware that these problems exist? So I'm glad you asked that question. So at the NFHS, we're right now working on doing exactly that, uh, mm-hmm. flipping the script, because we we do know that there's so much good that comes out of officiating. But we do a really bad job of, of marketing that, right. of talking about the the why. So we know we know about behavior, we know about you know pay, we know about all of that stuff. But what we don't talk about is what officials feel like they really gain from being officials. Um, we right now are working on an initiative, and it's the Why I Officiate campaign. Mm-hmm. And we're asking officials across the country to submit to us a sixty to ninety second video that's really a testimonial about what officiating has done for them, why they do it, what they love about it. And and some of them are obvious. It's mm-hmm. staying, you know, staying close to a sport you love, staying physically active, um, doing something after your playing career is over. But there's so many other things, you know, I've I've heard people over the years say like officiating saved my life. Really? And that I mean that is a bold statement for somebody to feel like they were in a such a dark place and then they found this this thing that they were able to fall in love with and passionately commit to and, you know, really become a part of something bigger than themselves. And hearing these testimonials and and getting that word out, I think is something huge. Um, 
on a local level, I think that if there's somebody who wants to be involved, we've got to get them with people who can really be those ambassadors to talk to them about the process. Um, setting people up with mentors is huge, and we we need to do a better job across the country of mentoring our, our potential officials as well right. as those who are already in the system in that one to three year range. That personal connection is huge. Um, you know, when we were talking about some of the data, one of the most um, kind of poignant things that you can see from that data is people who get involved officiating. The number one reason why is because somebody asked them. Right. So we can spend money on advertisements and recruitment and all of that. But if they aren't getting asked and kind of embraced into the into the family, then they're probably not going to stick with it. So I think that the more we can involve those potential officials, the ones that kind of have one foot in and one mm-hmm. foot out, um, and really talk to them about the merits of officiating instead of always harping on all of the, and I know we spent most of the time talking about a, a lot of the bad stuff. Right. But the, you know, it's like anything else we were talking about earlier. 95% of things are really good, but it's the 5% that's really bad. And it's mm-hmm. the, the 5% that gets attention. Uh, an old colleague of mine once said, you know, the media likes to report on the planes that crash, not the ones that land. That's even very true. A lot more that land. Yep. Um, and so I think if we can do a better job of, of marketing all of the good things, because it is so fulfilling and it is lifelong friendships and it is having that support group who can help you through the the rough parts of of the rest of your life and you know some people crazy as it sounds find officiating to be an escape it's an escape from the 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 day-to-day work it's an escape from you know madness that's going on at your house or whatever the case may be so so having an outlet i think is something that people don't talk about a lot for officiating and and sometimes when people say oh it's a stress relief for me i'm like how is that stress relieving and i've been in this business for a long time and i still don't get that but um i think the more that we can do that and you know some of the efforts with with humanizing officials and really highlighting the people that they are as well they're you know we're we're right now working and this is a little off topic but we're working right now with a group of officials who um are on the autism spectrum. Oh, wonderful. Talking, yeah, it's it's amazing. And we're talking to them a little bit about their their experiences and kind of some of their unique challenges, but also how officiating has kind of helped them um, with their autism. So I think the more that we can highlight some of those stories, it, it's kind of like um, when you're watching an NFL game and before the game, they do one of those really cool stories and you're like, gosh, I never knew that about yeah. them. Um, it, it helps to to really bring in that human element and maybe people will be a little bit more compassionate when they understand that people who are officiating at our level are doing it because of some really altruistic reasons and and we need to to showcase that so I'm, I'm excited that we're starting it I've gotten probably over a hundred officials who want to participate and we've gotten a handful of videos in and every single one that I get I just kind of get goosebumps because it it does show you how special the people who decide to officiate really are. And and we, we need to celebrate them and we need to celebrate the avocation as a whole. Yeah, no, I, you know, it, it's, I didn't even know that. And I feel like that can be such a benefit. I, you know, we, we deal with this all the time where, you know, the assigner will receive phone calls like, you know, I don't want to see that official again and whatnot. And I was just talking with my assigner about it today. We were like, how, how much of this do we think could be because of something like that? Where we're like, you know, listen, you, you know, yeah, the guy, the, this, this official happens to be on the autism spectrum, you know, but what he or she does is provide a service that you need. 
And does that change, you know, your your perspective? And and then you deal with that question at that point of, you know, you know, are you are, are you too concerned about the outcome of your game to not let an autistic person officiate your game? Like like that's you know, those are the deeper questions that have to be addressed then. But it's I, I, it's 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 just music to my ears that some that that is now being considered and and evaluated because of how necessary I think it is. It, and it is. I just. You know, we were, I was talking to a friend of mine who has officiated high school and collegiate athletics. And he was saying, you know, we don't talk a lot about officiating is for everybody. Mm -hmm. it's for, I mean, it is, but it isn't. So I'll preface that. But anybody, you know, every walk of life, there's something for everyone in officiating or adjudication. If, yeah. if it's something that you want to do on the music side of things, on the performing arts, speech and debate. I mean, there's a million different aspects of, of officiating that you could get into. Um, there are people who get in and then they're like, gosh, this isn't for me. And it's usually because it's harder than they thought it was going right. to be. So so when we say it's for everybody, there are some limits to that. But really, it's something that if you're of whatever the, the legal age for officials are in your state, it doesn't matter your race, it doesn't matter your gender, it doesn't matter your income level. I mean, none of that matters. It's something that's really... Uh, you know, you can be a part of the team, you can yeah. be a part of the family, um, and you can you can get in the game in so many different ways as an official. And I, I think the fact that we are finally looking at how to approach that and really get the word out, I think that that'll help just the overall messaging about officials. Um, it, you know, that's my hope anyway. So I, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic as as I am with most things. I'm cautiously optimistic. But Fair enough. I am really hoping that it it does affect some change and that it starts to it starts some momentum with flipping the script so that people understand what it is that we're doing, who these people are that are out there on every night of the week. Now, mm -hmm. I used to say, you know, a couple of nights a week, but now it's like every night. Um, who are they and, and what are they about and what makes what makes them tick? Why yeah. do they like doing this? Because if you look at it on paper, maybe it's not such an attractive option, but yeah, there's that's a true. reason why why we still at the high school level have, you know, 250,000 pe people across the country who officiate. So let, let's explore that. Let's look yeah. at the, the why they stay, not the why they get out. Now, that's very, very, very true. Um, before we wrap, I wanted to make sure that you had the floor to mention anything that you need to promote, any final messages, anything, you know, anything that you feel we didn't discuss that, that, that you want to throw out there. I just want to make sure that you have the floor to, express whatever you need to from 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 your perspective i think really jack it's the the appreciation for the partnerships that we've been able to form over the past couple of years um the amount of people who want to help mm -hmm. um i can't tell you enough how grateful the nfhs is for all of these people who just they know there's a problem and they want to be a part of the solution yeah. and knowing that it's that whole many hands make light work um, let, let's all do this together. Um, at the center of all this has to be the, the desire to collaborate. And I'm just beyond grateful. The NFHS is beyond grateful of the fact that we have so many partners. Now OSIP is, is a partner of ours as well. And, um, it, you know, the, the train is on the tracks, it's moving. And now all of us together need to keep it on, keep it on the tracks. And we need the help of everybody. It, yeah. It's coaches, it's administrators, it's officials, it's, principals it's fans it's parents um and we're we all do it for the same reason anyway we're all working for students so let's all remember that as we approach some of these issues with regard to behavior with regard to officials with regard to you know just 
treating each other respectfully. Yeah. Uh, and that that goes for, you know, people always say, well, you act like officials are, you know, they don't make mistakes or they, they're always a, above board. There are officials who need to do some work with regard to their, you know, their professionalism mm-hmm. as well. We're not saying that that's not an issue, um, but let's all do our part let you know it's easy to point the finger at other people but we all need to do some self-reflection and and realize how we can be a part of the solution and i think if if we keep student athletes at the focus of all that we do we're we're going to be okay change is not going to happen overnight um i encourage everybody to just be patient because it's going to take some time and some doing but it certainly is um it's exciting to know that there's a lot of momentum in this area and a lot of really positive energy in this area. And I, I'm excited to see where it goes. And certainly, you know, kind of as a, a comedic final note, I do want to say that social media is not all bad because right. that's how you and I got. Uh-huh. And I think that, you know, sometimes we talk about the evils that exist within social media, but had, had it not been for Twitter, you and I wouldn't have made the connection. I wouldn't yeah. have asked you to come to the consortium and, and we wouldn't be having these conversations. So I think that, Sometimes we need to look at what what's right in front of us and realize that there are other people who are who are rowing the boat with us, and I'm I'm certainly grateful for that. Um, I I had one of the best salads of my life at that hotel. So, <laughs> which which again is the title of another book. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the the only thing I can say to that is send the human resources page of your website over to us so that we can see what jobs are available. I know that's not readily available. I was I, I, I was talking with Caitlin about that as we were flying home, and she was like, "Yeah, that's not up there, is there?" I was like, "They probably don't want weirdos like us." But that's that's fine, you know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's it's, I was feeling the same thing. I was like, you know, there's there's nothing better than that motivation to come together and and to do that work. So you know, I, I you know, as as you know, as this is a lonely man who started a nonprofit. It's it's just so good to to know that there are allies out there especially from the nfhs which is you know a pretty high in the pecking order as far as i'm concerned so uh i cannot thank you enough dana it has been an absolute pleasure um i i i pray that there is a 3.0 so that we can get out there uh i pray that uh some of the connections that i am making will 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 lead to some wonderful things and uh Maybe at some point I will get enough frequent flyer miles to Indianapolis that this will be even better. Um, thank you again for being here and and hope to uh, talk with you soon. Gosh, thank you for the opportunity. And, uh, you know, we've been on for an hour and it seems like five minutes. It's mm-hmm. awesome talking to you. And I, I just appreciate your support and looking forward to what else we can partner together and, and you know, turn things around. So thank you for the opportunity and the time. And, um, you know, you're, we're stuck with each other now. So <laughs> I didn't, I didn't even get a chance to propose or take anybody out to dinner or this is, I mean, it, listen, if this is how this works again, just send me a memo or something, you know? <laughs> no, you know, I just like to spring it on people. See, you know. I, I knew I should not have invested in that fax machine. I thought someone would fax me in this day and age. I was wrong. I don't even know how to use a fax. Anymore, See, okay. So. <laughs> let, let, all females out there, I'm admitting I was wrong because I have to do that. Okay, it's it's this is standard operating procedure. At the end um, of every podcast. At the end of every podcast from now on, instead of doing my normal spiel, I'm just going to be called to say I was wrong. You know, something that officials don't do that often either. So the, the title of your next book, I was, I was wrong. <laughs> I'm sure somebody will will argue about the nature of the verb there. It should be I am wrong. <laughs> And I will be wrong again. So, or you could have many chapters. So, right, just changing the verb. Yeah. See, I'm thinking of ways to help you expand your, you know, expand your brand. 
you're you're going to send me a bill now. So I am. Yeah, it, it's on. It, I'm not faxing it to you. It'll be an email. That's probably fair because I don't even know if there's paper in the fax machine right now. So <laughs> or ink <laughs> or it, 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 again, small. I just bought it and I stopped and I thought that was all yes. I had to do. Yeah, didn't think that one through. Um, so again, th- thank you, Dana, and to everyone out there. Uh, remember, you can check us out at osafoundation.org. The email address is podcast at osafoundation.org. Facebook.com slash osafoundation. Twitter and Instagram at osafoundation. Hashtag how you play the game. We will talk to everybody in just a few short weeks. And until then, please treat each other with respect. How You Play the Game is a production of the OSA Foundation Incorporated. The producer engineer of this episode is Sean Ryan. Music by SoundSpring Studio. The executive producer of How You Play the Game is Jack Furlong. For more information, visit osafoundation.org.